Okay, well, welcome podcast people. Um, <laughs> let's see. We Corinthians 8. And I think we're just going to kind of plunge in there. Everybody good? Okay. So last week we finished up chapter 7, which was all about wives and husbands and changes in status and marriage and divorce and engagements and all of these things, this whole long list of stuff that Paul was trying to deal with that the Corinthians were asking him about and that he was hearing about. And um, now there's now we're going to move to a different topic. That's, that's, there's an immediate issue that we're going to run into here, but there's this larger perspective that will spill over into chapter 9 and even beyond. So let's just get going. Okay, so now it's changing topic. Now about food sacrifice to idols. So let me explain just a little bit around that. So you, we all know what an idol is. An idol is a figurine, a statue, um, of some pagan god or goddess, which was, they were everywhere. They were everywhere. There were temples of various sizes everywhere. I was thinking of a scene in the movie Risen, which is the story, uh, it's a movie with Joseph Fiennes in it, about he's the Roman centurion who was put in charge of Jesus's um, execution squad. And it's uh, one scene in it, he is praying to his the particular god that he has latched himself onto, and of course, being a centurion, it is Mars, the god of war. But there were just just countless of them, and they they were an integral part of daily life. More so than churches, mosques, or synagogues are in our world. They were an integral part of daily life. Um, the temples, these pagan temples, of which there were so many in these cities were places where a lot of public events were held. A lot of dinners were held. We, we know this because we found inscriptions saying, you know, you're invited to the dinner honoring our good friend Gary Brooks down here at the temple to Esculpius and please be there and we would love to have you and you would go to this temple. Now, the food served at the temple would include meat sacrificed to idols because it was sort of like the, the animals were brought in and sacrificed to the idols in the front door and then they were taken out and slaughtered and cleaned up and then cooked and barbecued and served in the dining rooms in the back. So it was kind of a rich person thing because your average poor person isn't going to get the dinner to the, the invitation to Gary's dinner. It was kind of a, kind of a, kind of a wealthier person thing. But in that world, it could be a difficult if you were going to eat meat to avoid eating meat that had been sacrificed to one of these pagan gods or goddesses. And that's the question that is, that is current in, in, in chapter 8. I brought um, a picture. I said last week that I had a photograph of a fast food restaurant from the Greco-Roman world, right here it is. That's a little fast food <laughs> counter, yeah, right? A little, like a little deli there in Pompeii. People would stand around and uh, food would be there 
served up there in uh, various kinds. Much of it would be based in grains. There would be some proteins. This is not a, it's not really a protein-rich world like ours is, but you know, they'd have bowls with, you know, maybe a little bit of chicken, a um, little bit of maybe some fried rodent, something like that, that you, yeah, really, fried rodents that, that, that you could eat. And um, that stuff was probably not sacrificed to idols, but there had been a lot. There was a lot that was sacrificed to idols, and that's the question. Should the Christians be eating meat that has been part of a religious ceremony, a religious sacrifice to one of these pagan gods or goddesses. Okay, so back to verse 1, the very first half, the first third <laughs> of verse 1. Now about food sacrifice to idols, Paul writes, we know that, and the translators then put the quotes in to tell you that he is, he is quoting something back to them that they said to him. We know that, quote, we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. That is the fundamental problem in the communities, these house churches in Corinth. They are very, in, in the Greek way, they're very much concerned with knowledge and, and um, even some idea perhaps that knowledge is the secret way to salvation but with what they can know in their life of the mind and the philosophers and all that kind of stuff. Well Paul is not so much interested in that. He doesn't deny that it's that being knowledgeable is good but as he says it puffs up whereas love builds up. Um, I think really, really, really smart people in our world often have a very difficult time with the proclamation that Paul has of Christ and him crucified because they don't, they don't like things that they don't think they can understand. And if they can't understand it, it must not be so. Whereas the mysteries of God um, are, are really beyond you know, there are mysteries of God that are beyond our comprehension. There's mysteries revealed by the Webb telescope that are beyond our comprehension. No human brain can really comprehend that, 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 that sky full of galaxies. I don't care what you tell me. We can't really do that. Okay? So, that, that's, a big, that's a big line right there. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. That's sort of the base level for Paul. That is the thing that he is, that is driving almost everything he's going to say. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. As in, you Corinthians, you're being smarty pants again, right? You think you know so much, you probably do so not, know so much, but you don't know what you, what you ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Okay? Whoever loves God is known by God. Um, it isn't to say that God isn't aware of everyone, but there is a special relationship between God and his people. Because for, for, for those who have put their faith in Christ have been, have 
the relationship with God has been rectified, has been put right. And so that is a special relationship that God has with those who have put their faith in Christ. Whoever loves God is known by God. Not, okay? So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. He's going on with this. We know that, quote, this is what he's being told, an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that, quote, there is no God but one. Do you think both statements are true? Darn right they're true. <laughs> there is, not, see, the, the secret is, these gods and goddesses that all this stuff has been sacrificed to, they're nothing. They don't exist. They're figments of people's spiritual fervor and religious imagination because everybody is born with a yearning for God of some kind. And that expresses itself in all kinds of ways, some positive, some not. Um, human cultures, almost all human cultures across the planet have practiced animal sacrifice, blood sacrifice, giving back to the gods, um, life basically, which is what that is about. Sometimes to appease the gods, sometimes in gratitude to the gods, but regardless, it's, it's a common practice. Um, it was a common practice in the ancient world of the mid ancient Mideast. It was a common practice in other cultures from Africa and eastward. Um, okay, yes. In my readings, I understand that in the Jewish culture, while they believed in one God, many of them also kept idols. Many of them kept idols as well. That, okay, so it, sadly, yes, okay. It might be a little bit like us knocking on wood, except the prophets are constantly coming for hundreds of years and getting in the people's face saying, give up those idols, give up those idols, give up those idols, right? This chapter is about, is about not giving in to the temptation to be idolatrous, okay? And so I think it goes beyond the superstition of sort of knocking on wood, because I mean, I do that sometimes. I don't know why, it's just kind of saying gazoo tight or something when somebody sneezes, you know. I don't think they're really chasing out the evil spirit in them when they sneeze. It's just, I don't know, it's just kind of, kind of cultural. But the idols, you see, God knew that the Jews would be so tempted by these idols because they were the only ones who were who knew that there was one God. And think of what one of the Ten Commandments. You're going to make a list of the top ten. The top ten things that the people are supposed to do and not do. On that top ten list is one that says, don't make any graven images of me. Which means don't even try to make, don't even try to paint a picture of God. And as a result, the Jews, if you look historically at their art, the Israelites and, and the Jews did not, their, temp, their, their buildings and stuff were not decorated with, with images of any living thing. They were geomet a lot of ge geometric images or palms or something like that because 
There were they just have been a world filled with these idols. And the, what, is, what is the great sin of Israel that results in their, in the destruction of Jerusalem and their exile? It is they're chasing after idols. They're basically committing adultery against God by chasing after these, the, these pagan gods and goddesses as opposed to remaining true to their covenant partner who is God. That's the classic example. Then Judaism, the, the wreckage down at the bottom of Mount Sinai when Moses comes down and he finds that they are making a golden calf, an idol, when is, it's the worst sin in the Hebrew Scriptures. We, Christians, we go, be, go to the Garden of Eden, but for the Jews, for the rabbis, that's it. That's the darkest moment, the making of that golden calf. Later, um, when the two kingdoms, when the one kingdom of Israel splits in two after the death of Solomon, in the north, a leader named Jeroboam, who has led that, the northern tribes away from the southern tribe of Judah, he, no, he doesn't want the people making the trek to Jerusalem, the temple, so he wants to erect, he wants to have them do something different, so he makes a golden calf and puts one in the south and one in the north to try to get the people to go to worship that golden calf. And of course, Jeroboam is memorialized in all the rest of the, old, in all the, rest of the book of Kings as like the worst of the worst because he led the people away. And even for these Christians, Paul is tasked with trying to lead them away from the worship of these false gods because they're worshiping their, their, their desire, their religious yearnings are being poured, at, poured into what? An empty, an empty space, an empty well. There is no Zeus, there is no Jupiter, Isaiah has this great little image, this great little story about this guy, he's gone out to the woods, you know, and he's gonna build himself a fire and he picks up this log. And so one end of the log, he is gonna use to build this fire and the other end of the log, he carves into a little statue figurine and puts it down and worships it. And for Isaiah, of course, that's ridiculous. It's one stupid log. What do you mean you're worshiping that piece of wood, you know? So, yeah, it, it's a lot different than knocking on wood. Oh, well, see, that's it, isn't it? Yes, you see, we, we do want to have something to see, something to hold on to into our, in, in our in our weakness, but it leads us in the wrong way. It leads up, I talk to so many Christians who have grown up in the church their whole life, They're, they still can't let go of the idea that God doesn't have a body, that God doesn't have a face, that God doesn't have arms and legs. Even though the rabbis knew it going back long before Jesus, because if God had those things, well, God could only be in one place at one time. That's Jesus' limitation while he's incarnate on earth, is that he can, God can only be in one place at one time. And, and they knew that God was everywhere. So 
it's it's a hard thing. It's it, you know in Mormonism, Mormons believe that God has a body like that, and I sort of get why that's attractive, but for the Jews and the rabbis and then the Christians, it's it's just wrong and it's and it's deadly because it, again it leads you away from the truth. What are we after? We're after the truth. We're after reality. I'm not. We're after. We're after more than simply satisfying our spiritual yearnings. There's lots of ways I might satisfy whatever yearnings I have, whether it's for ice cream or, you know, spiritual yearnings or religious yearnings. Americans are really good. Um, I wrote a few paragraphs one time about Americans, you know, we, we, we kind of want to live in a spiritual prairie where we can just go out and make it all up on our own, but it's, that's not the point. Satisfying our yearnings is not the point. Coming to know the truth, that's the point. The nature of reality, that's the point. Which Arthur has been doing a bang-up job of talking about lately in his sermons. So, to go back to verse 4, we know that, yes, true, an idol is nothing at all in the world. They don't exist. The figurines exist, but they represent nothing. Nothing that exists. There is no, there is no Zeus, there is no Mercury, there is no Mars, there is no... Diana, there's none of that. There is no God but one, and that echoes the Shema. That is the great Jewish prayer that, that Jewish boys would pray several times a day. Go to Deut Deuteronomy um, 6. Find Deuteronomy 6. Is everything okay online, do you think, Patty? Yes. Are we cooking? Okay, Deuteronomy 6, you just, you know, this is another, I, you know, some people mark their Bibles, other people don't mark their Bibles, but if you're a person who does mark their Bible, you need to mark this, because this is where, when, when the lawyer asked Jesus, what are the two great commandments, this is where Jesus goes for the first one. When the lawyer says, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus goes to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Let me find it. I'm everywhere except chapter 6. <laughs> chapter 6, verse 4. And we're going to read through chapter through verse 9. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one. Love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. They are never to be apart from this affirmation, this proclamation that God is one. That there is only one God. There are no other gods which shapes this whole conversation about meat sacrificed to idols. So go back to 1 Corinthians 8. Any questions about Deuteronomy or anything there? It's called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. That's the foundational verse in that prayer. That's where the little block is on the head. The little pro prophylactories on their forehead. Yeah. If you watch the movie, the wall, if you watch the movie Ben-Hur, yeah. when Ben-Hur goes in the front door, 
of, of the house. This is before the world falls on, in on him. You know, he touches this little box by the doorway. That little box has um, the law in it. So, there we go. Yep. Okay, so verse 4. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol, quote, an idol is nothing at all in the world, close quote, and that, quote, there is no God but one, quote. And then Paul's going to expand on it. For even if there are so-called gods, you see what he's doing, right? So-called gods. Whether in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many, quote, gods, close quote, and many, quote, lords, close quote, people have a very fervent spiritual imagination. Joseph Smith was the founder of Mormonism. He had a very, I mean, he was a religious genius. He took some elements of Christianity and elements of the, the, some Masonic elements and some Old Testament stuff and kind of mixed them all up together and out of that was born Mormonism. And these yearnings that people have are real. And that's how you end up with so many quote gods and so many quote lords. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came. This was the Jewish affirmation, that there was one God from whom all things came. Not some things, not the best things. Through from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. If all things came through God, all things came through Jesus. It is, it is a, a, it, in the Greek, it's a little clearer, the parallel, parallelism in these, at the end of these verses. God, Jesus, God, Jesus, God, Jesus. And that's what's really so remarkable, is that there's only uh, 20, less than 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, and they speak of Jesus as these radically monotheistic Jews, like Paul, a Pharisee no less, had only spoken of Yahweh. Um, not that they would ever say his, God's name. They would, they would never say God's name. So, um, all right. Verse 7. So he sort of laid out the truth at the end of verse 6. That's sort of his, that's sort of his marker. And now he says, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. A lot of people don't get it. They don't know it. It's true, it's true in our world as it was then. Not everybody knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols, these false gods, that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. In other words, what are they? They're, 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 they're like new to this. That world is 
they're like somebody who's got, you know, one foot still in the mud pit and the other one trying to get them out and the mud pit keeps trying to suck them back in. Okay? And it's, they can't help but struggle to leave their old world behind as they embrace this new world. It is like what? It is like this slide. They got their feet are kind of mired in, in here as they're struggling to actually live in the age to come. I think that is something most of us experience. I'd be very surprised if I met somebody who, who, who didn't or didn't have struggles to, um, to, to be the people God has called us to be and understand and to live a life um, without, a, without a foot still stuck in, in, in the darkness. So in verse 7, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols, it's all they ever knew. How, of course they are, that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Now, conscience is weak because they have, Paul says in, in Romans, that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we will really understand what the will of God is, what is good and perfect. But that's a process. It's not a light switch. It's a process. So these, there are people in the Corinthian churches who are probably, I'll just say that they're new to this. They're all new, but there's some who are newer. Maybe some who are more, um, what? more firmly placed in the world, the Greco-Roman world that they're leaving behind. And they, when they eat the meat sacrificed to idols, they, it kind of hurts their conscience because they know they're thinking they're doing something wrong. Why do they think they're doing something wrong? Because there's part of them that still thinks the idol to which this meat has been sacrificed has reality behind it. That, I mean, just maybe, just maybe there is one of these gods that I grew up with my entire life. Because I did. That's a Greek Roman people. They had figurines all over the place. Big, big curio cap. What do we call them? Curio cabinets? In the, in the, like in the corners and things? Yeah, you can see old art of the curio cabinets and stuff with the figurines of the household gods. And, and other ones, he's, they, they gr he grow, grows up with it and he says, ah, you know, maybe, maybe, and so he, his conscience is defiled. His conscience, it, um, he feels a little guilty. Should he feel guilty about eating <laughs> a BLT where the pig was sacrificed to Zeus? Should he feel guilty about eating a BLT that's been sacrificed to Zeus? Is there a Zeus? No. Don't sit there mute. Okay, no. 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 Okay, good. But Scott, I, you know, like let's say today, there's still, there's still witchcraft. There's Satanists. There are people that could possibly offer some kind of meal up to Satan. I'm just telling you, I am not eating that food. 
even just because of what the intent of it was. It, well, it just would not sit right with me. I know what Paul is saying, that it won't do me any harm to, but because it would really bother me. Well, okay. So you, <laughs> what? So you would stay away. I don't think it would bother me. I like. I like. Let's just say. Let's just say we 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 found a we 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 made some new friends at the mall and they invited us over to dinner and you know prepared some barbecue for for us and we found out they're Wiccans, you know, and they had sacrificed their you know they they prayed a prayer before they ever put the thing on the barbecue to you know the tree in the backyard. Tree worship is a big thing. So I wouldn't have dinner there again, but I wouldn't feel like it was defiling my conscience because I know it's, it's sad that that is how their spiritual yearnings have worked out because they are so, so far from the truth. Now, here's the hard part for us. What's, how are we, in what ways do we tend to be idolatrous? I don't think the problem is Wiccans. I don't think it's Satan worship. That, I've never encountered any of that in my life. I'm probably going to die someday without having done so. How, do, how are we idolatrous? What are the idols of our day? What is it that people tend to worship in our world? Money. Money. Well, that's pretty uniform right there. Y'all are mute sometimes, but not then. <laughs> Money. Sure. Money. Wealth. What else? What? About what? Fame. Fame. Celebrity, right? Yes. Officially, no, of course not, because Mary isn't Jesus. But do they flirt with it? Yes, they do. For Kathy's reasons, I think. Okay, I think. I think. For as a Protestant, I'm a. I'm, I'm a. I'm, I'm a PP, a POP. I'm a Protestant on purpose. Okay. <laughs> I'm a Protestant on purpose, and I, because I, I think that the, the Catholics do. If you talk to the Catholic theologians, it's one thing. If you talk to the people in the pews, you get a little different story. Patty tells me story. Patty grew up Catholic. She went to St. Patrick's School for eight years, good Catholic school on Staten Island, to which we are going to. I'm going to get to visit St. Patrick's um, in September because we're going to her. Reunion. I'm not saying which reunion it is, dear. Yeah, twentieth reunion from twentieth reunion from the eighth grade. But she would say, Yeah, yeah, when I was a little girl at St. Patrick's, it was pretty clear that the Pope was God on earth. Well that's heretical. That isn't you know, the Pope would say, No, that's not right, but it's what we tend to do. So you have to be careful about it. And um, yeah. An icon is an ancient practice of being, the icons are not worshipped per se, but they're, they, as Scott Pontikus explained to me and to our class one time, it was, he's an Orthodox son-in-law to the Crawfords in town. The icons are a way to help bring the presence of God into that space and a way for, to help people to help people connect, okay, and but they're not, they're not, they're not worshipped. 
They're not worthy of worship as God is worthy of worship. I, you, I see the same thing when I go to Jerusalem and go to the Western Wall and you find rabbis and other students of Judaism praying and they're all have their practices for how they stay engaged, right? And they will, they'll, they'll, they'll read while they're doing this. And there's not really any meaning to that, but they need it or else they're gonna end up making shopping lists while they're, while they're praying at the wall. So Russian Orthodox are, they're as Christian as we are. They just have a different set of practices and traditions that have grown up over many, many centuries. And the use of icons is one. But I, I taught Isaiah yesterday. I used an icon, a piece of iconography in the slide set. I use them often because some of them are just so beautiful. Of, it was one of what? Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Ethiopian Orthodox, Methodists, Catholics, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Baptists. If we're, we can all say the Nicene Creed without crossing our fingers, even though it's lived out and practiced in different ways, reflecting our different cultures and different histories and different times. That's the value of the creeds. The creeds bind us together. A Russian Orthodox Christian who has a very different approach to how to do some of this and I can bond. We are brothers. We would be brothers in Christ. And we're certainly brothers in Christ over the Nicene Creed. Okay? Go to the church in Bethlehem. Very, does not look like a Methodist church. Let me tell you, it looks very different. Um, and it reflects the difference from the East and West. In my Sunday morning class, week after this week, so on the 20, on July 31st, I'm gonna start a series that will run out for a while into the um, early fall on our um, family tree our Christian denominations and how they all came to be. And because and, I think most people don't understand that the Russian Orthodox are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should never refer to Roman Catholicism or Russian Orthodox or Greek Orthodox as different religions. They're not, we, there is, if you're gonna use the word religion, there is one religion in Christ and Christo and we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, encompassing a wide variety of denominations. There's 79 Methodist denominations that are part of the World Methodist, Methodist Council. And there's, some, there's stories behind everyone. But we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And what binds us together is a lot more important than the differences. Scott, yes. Um, you do have a comment online. Okay. This is from Marsha Byers. I'm sorry, you're gonna have to repeat it. Um, she said, on the other side of the fence, do you think the evangel evangelical churches 
idolize their preachers. And as an example, she said Mark Driscoll. Okay, so what, what Patty's, what Marsha Byers is asking me about, is there a problem, I'm going to rephrase it, Marsha, is there a problem in the American church with celebrity preachers? Now, I'm sure the people in those churches would say, well, we don't worship Mark Driscoll, right? That, but celebrity preachers, celebrity in general, is part of the problem because it's easy to end up idolizing a preacher, for example, okay? And that is exactly what Paul is saying, don't do, okay? And American churches, that, that's the value of the Mars Hill podcast. Is, which is about the decline of this big mega church up in Seattle, I think. Um, that we, we are called together as brothers and sisters to worship, to worship the one God revealed fully in Jesus. That's it. That's it. No one else. And we have to constantly be trying to live behind the marks of this world's idols, which y'all name some of them, money, fame, celebrity, um, power. earthly power, right? Um, uh, earthly status, remember even just last week, Paul, in just the end of chapter seven, Paul wanted to talk about status. He's gonna talk about status again when we come to the Lord's Supper. These people live in an incredibly status conscious world even more so than ours. But we are pretty darn status conscious sometimes. And we have to leave that. When we, when we go from the, this age to the age to come, when we're striving to live in the age to come, which arrived in Jesus 2,000 years, years ago, we have, to leave that, we have to leave that behind. Yes? Okay, so what Kathy's saying, Billy Graham was more of a vessel, right? He was famous, though. And, and even with Billy Graham, could people end up idolizing Billy Graham? Would he be horrified by that prospect? Yes. Okay, any preacher should be horrified by that prospect because we are here to worship Christ, right? And so we don't... But boy, it's hard not to drag all that stuff in with us. So what's happening in Corinth? They're dragging in this stuff about meat sacrifice to idols. It's hard to find the, to even sometimes see the line between church and culture, right? It's so, it's so hard not to see this place as a club or a nonprofit organization called together to do good things no this is a worshiping community called by God um, to be brothers and sisters in Christ and in Christo and and that's so we're not a club and I am maybe it's my age but I am constantly beating that drum on staff every chance I get to don't use words like that sometimes our young people have a tendency to want to use theater words to talk about what we do, okay? So it's stage left, stage right, you know, that kind of thing, you know? 
I, I, I remember I one time I went to um, get my mic pack out of a box and it said, what did it say? It said, for the talent, 9.30. And I'm just going, no, we, don't, we, we, we can't use these words. Don't use the words because of what, words shape your mind. Words shape your mind. Words, words are, you could say, what difference does it make what you call it? It makes a heck of a lot of difference. What, how you, what words you use. So, no, we're, 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 it's not stage left, stage right. This is not theater. It's not performance. I, people will talk about, well, you know, you got your performance coming up at 9. Oh, I don't have a performance at the 9.30 service if I'm preaching. I'm supposed to preach the gospel. It's not a performance. Stop it. Stop it. Dang it. Yeah. See, Lauren brings her, her historical perspective um, to, to this because she's, she's a student of Christian history. And the creeds are not there merely as a way for you to affirm what you believe. They bind us together in the present day and they bind us with many, many centuries of Christians who came before us, and they bind us to Christians who are as diverse as, um, well, Plano Methodists and Russian Orthodox in Kiev, or Kiev, as I always used to say. So, um, and 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 that's why the church is always protected the creeds and it would be a terrible thing if we ever thought that we could jettison those creeds. Because the creeds are merely the outgrowth of from Scripture. That's, that's, this is what the Christians find in Scripture to be the truth and that's what you find in the creeds. Okay, one more. Yes, Doug. Is there a box? I was not a box down here today, so the answer is no, Doug. We are boxless. We're boxless today. I don't know why, but we are. As far as I could tell, there was nothing down here, so whatever. I will memorize all your names right now. Every face here. Okay. Well, let's just go back to verse 7 to read back into this paragraph. But not everyone who possesses this knowledge, okay, about the way things really are, is what he's saying. Not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. As Jesus once so succinctly put it, it is not about what goes in your mouth, it's what comes out. Right? It's just food. It's just food. We thank God for it. We do thank God for it because we're built such that we need it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
verse 9. Be careful, however. Ah, now comes the, now comes the shepherd, the pastor. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights, underline that word, because Paul's going to talk about that for a while, on into chapter 9. That the exercise of your rights, what you are free to do in Christ, right? We are free in Christ. It's not a freedom from as much as a freedom for. Okay, but we are, we are free in Christ. And be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. As in what you don't want to do is to make things more difficult for your brother or sister in Christ to get their foot out of the mud and get both feet in the age to come. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, now he's appealing to them because they think they are chock full of knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died, boom, is destroyed by your knowledge. Destroyed by your knowledge. So what is he saying? He's saying, okay, we all know you can eat the meat that's been sacrificed to Zeus. Because there is no Zeus. You're not violating Jesus. You're not violating God. Food is food. You can eat a food that's been sacrificed to a tree. It doesn't, it's just food. But if you have a brother or sister who sees you and they still have this idea that it's somehow wrong because they still have this idea that maybe there is something to this Zeusine thing or it's not really totally gone out of their mind, then you could be a stumbling block because you could cause them to set aside their own conscience, right, and come into the temple and eat the meat beside you, the barbecue, of the meat that has been sacrificed to, to, um, to Zeus. And what's the consequence of that? First of all, you would have forgotten that Christ died for that person and when you invite them to come in trying to drag this with them, <coughs> with them, okay, to drag this with them, you could destroy them. How would that be? Because they, instead of making the move into the age to come, they end up falling back out, back into where they're just completely in the mud and just lost. I don't think I Okay, well, I, we'll I just pray that, that is one. never put before us. Okay, so I, so I will try to be Paul. So why does Paul, why does Paul call them weak? He, what does he mean? He means less mature 
less grown in the faith. Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. I'm explaining what Paul means by weak. Okay? He, he is saying that these people are only, how about this, they're only making the first, the first mini baby steps into this world. And you don't want to do something that makes them fall back into the, into the, into the old world. It's just kind of the same thing as what he says, when he said earlier, earlier in the letter, you know, gosh, I would like to feed y'all meat, but I'm not gonna have to give you milk because you are really still infants in this. And not you, Patty. <laughs> I'm not even gonna look her direction right now. <laughs> um, and so what, what is Paul's expectation? That as they grow in the faith, they too will come to see the silliness, the falsity of all of these pagan gods and goddesses. They will come to see that they don't exist. And it, and, and, and it, won't, trouble, it won't trouble them anymore. It won't, it won't prick at, the, at their conscience or anything anymore by whatever anybody eats because, well, because why? Because food doesn't bring us nearer to God. We're no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. It's not about food. So it's, it's that's what he means. He, he doesn't mean that they're going to be forever weak. What he means is that they are new and, I'm not new. but you're not new. And I'm not going to, except for Satan, which I do believe is real, um, it's the fact that they're, in their world, 99% of the people do believe in these yes. gods, and that's all around them all the time. So if it makes them feel better by, I am, I totally wanted to, you know, take myself away from these folks, I'm not gonna eat it. I feel that that is a stronger thing than a weak thing. But doesn't he also say that you're of, you're of higher intelligence, which to me also says you're a leader here. You're supposed to be setting example for others. If you're he is appealing to, he is certainly appealing to their understanding of themselves as being extra special, knowledgeable about the, su such things. The larger point is that he even though they could certainly eat anything they want to, they should be careful about being the one who, because of what they do, causes a brand new little newborn Christian to fall back out of the way, to quickly run, let's quit talking about food, to quickly run toward a celebrity preacher, or quickly run toward the gathering of as much wealth by any means that they can, or whatever whatever idol they find is sort of driving their life forward. It might, you know, it might be sex is another common idol in America. How, how does that baby, that new person? The one, the one that Paul said he's still having to give milk to. The one in this age. How, how do they become stronger in their faith? There's no Bible. Or there's no gospel. 
they can only learn it from a networking of Christians mm -hmm. that have matured. I mean, That's a good point. Be, it has to be that. Because what does Paul say? Paul says, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. And then he sends Timothy. He says, Tim imitate Timothy when he sends Timothy later. So, so how, that, how that happens is they all have to be extra cognizant of how they are leading. But you do it through example, don't you? Imitate me as I imitate the Lord. You, you, How you get the point across that there is no Zeus and that a meat that's been sacrificed to, to Zeus is just meat. Well, I guess you just keep preaching it and teaching it and living it over and over and over again, right? Right? And in so doing, he's cautioning them, what is he cautioning them about? These people are puffed up with their knowledge, right? Knowledge puffs up. They're very consumed with their knowledge. They're very consumed with their rights. He's saying it, because that's the way he's going to go. If you're going to exercise your rights to eat this meat that's been sacrificed to nothing, because there is no Zeus, be aware that you could be causing a brother or sister to 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 what do we call it to break their conscience to do something that their conscience disapproves of and i think paul's expectation is that when people grow in the faith however it might happen that they will come to see as does Paul, that it's just, it's just meat. It's just, it's just meat. And it, you might say, well, okay, so whatever might potentially in the Christian community, whatever an individual feels like is a thing that they shouldn't do, even though they can do it, and would cause them to, to fall back a little, well, everybody can't do that. So it would be like Paul saying, well, nobody should ever eat meat sacrificed idols because of the few people. And th that's not it either, because that's allowing the community to be fined by the sort of the lowest legalistic denominator that's not it either Paul is just caught all he's doing is cautioning people to be aware that everybody is not at the same place on their Christian journey and don't do things that cause people to go backwards I wish he had just said something as simple as that but his problem is this meat sacrificed to idols because I think what I just said we can all agree on okay we could all agree that meats just meat Here's another one. Alcohol is just alcohol. Might be terrible for you, physically, but it, <laughs> but it doesn't have some kind of magic power or something. I, when I've taught this in the past, I've said, well, you know, so why, what's a way I would apply this in my life? So, okay, 
So I'm going to have some of my Baptist friends over who don't drink. I never get past that because I don't have any Baptist friends who don't drink. So, but let's just imagine I had Baptist friends who don't drink. So I invite them over, you know, and I'm going to not have a glass of wine in front of them because they'll like be offended or something or whatever. And I, I don't know. I came to see that as being kind of paternalistic and 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 not what Paul was talking about here. Um, I don't know. I just hear him appealing to these to these people who they're they're very concerned with their rights. Their rights, their rights, their rights. And they know what their rights are. And they know this and they know that. And they're not even wrong about it. But that's what they're focused on. Rather than focusing on how they can help their brother and sister to grow in Christ. And maybe, he's saying, just it just might be that you don't take your, your newly newly born Christian with you into the temple to have, you know, a big pot roast that was sacrificed to Zeus. So what does this relate to the Jewish, uh, Paul being a Jew, and Jews having to eat certain food and not others? Well, <laughs> see, Paul, had, so Susan, for the online people, Susan's asked me, but how does this relate to the Jewish food laws? Because there were certain things he ate and certain things they didn't eat. That's spelled out in the, in the Law of Moses. Well, Paul came to understand that it's all just food. Go to Acts 10 when Peter has the, um, the animals and God says, you can eat anything in here you want. Eat all the shrimp. Have a shrimp cocktail, Peter. It's okay. Have a BLT chaser with that shrimp cocktail, Peter. <laughs> So Paul comes to the point of seeing that, yes, those things are past. They have served their purpose. It was a good purpose. They've served their time. That's behind us now. What he tends to be more focused on than the food laws are the unwillingness of Jews to eat with Gentiles, the unwillingness of Jewish Christians to eat with Gentile Christians. Well, I have friends that still stick to Jewish friends. Mm -hmm. I imagine many of us do, right? Because there's a whole Orthodox community of Jews down around Hillcrest, right? Hillcrest and 635, sort of down in there. And I'm sure there are others in town. And I, I respect all of that. But it, those are their practices. And, and, and Paul came to see that, no, in Christ, that's past. It was good. It served its purpose. It wasn't purposeless. It was, served a good purpose. Yes. Whoa, I can't hear you, Ann. Giving thanks to the Lord is always good. I'd, I'm not going to say anything about what Patty might or might not do. <laughs> you understand that's where we've come to today. <laughs> Whatever... But then it's turning the prayer 
uh, from a prayer of gratitude and blessing into some sort of cleansing instrument. I'm cleansing the, I'm cleansing the meat of its association with this non-existent God or goddess. And I don't know, I don't think that's really it either. All Paul's point is simple. It's just, it's, it's just simple. It's just, you're right. There's nothing to any of this idle stuff. You're right, you're right, you're right. You're knowledgeable. You're right. You're right. But let's talk about love. And it isn't loving to do things which might cause a brother or sister to stumble because they, Christ died for them too. And, and what you don't want to do is to be someone who sort of sends somebody back in, back here. That's all, that's, that's really all that's going on. And the challenge for us in 2022 is to see the places where we have trouble getting our feet out of the culture around us. And it's for me and my life and my experience and, you know, around here, it's not Satan worship. It is, it is money, it is fame, it is celebrity, it's wealth, it's self-gratification. Um, those are, those are the idols that tend to mire us down and make it difficult for us to grow in our Christ-likeness. Jan. Well, you said meat sacrificed to Zeus, but Zeus doesn't exist. Yes. But what Patty's saying is meat sacrificed to Satan, and Satan does exist. So I'm on Team Patty. Okay. I'm on Team Patty also. Let's get that straight. Yes. <laughs> okay. I too, I never, I, for, I went many years thinking that Satan was just sort of the personification of evil. But the best explanation I can find for a lot of things in my own lifetime is the, exact, is the actual existence of Satan. And I came to understand that if I believed in angels, it was cheating not to believe in demons. So, um, yes. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Because that's not, nobody in their world has a temple to Satan. These are temples to the plethora of gods and goddesses where you would go and you would try, you want, you're gonna wanna sell west, you want a wind at your back, you'd put a little money in to get that wind in your back. You'd really, really hope, 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 hope that somebody wasn't gonna come in and put a little bit more money to, to get a wind from the east or whatever, right? So they, I don't know, that's the difficulty when you come to a letter written to people 2,000 years ago. You have to somehow hear what he's saying to them and put it in their context first and then try to bring it to our world. Which is what I did by substituting the word Satan. Yes, you are 100% right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever she said. So. We'll finish this conversation. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Verse 12, when you sin against them in this way, when you sin against this weak, this new, I'm not going to use the word weak anymore, this, this, this 
immature, newly formed, doesn't know anything about anything because they haven't been able to live within this community and learn anything from anybody, as Don put it, when you sin against them in this way because you're not, because you're not being sensitive to where they are to help in love, maybe give up some of the things you're entitled to. Boy, do people, that's, that's, that's another piece of idolatry in, in the world. Our, our rights, what we're entitled to. When you sin against them in this way and you wound their immature conscience, you sin against Christ because you've harmed this brother or sister. Don't harm, don't harm brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? That would be the takeaway from that. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will never cause them to fall. Now that is Paul being Mr. Hyperbole. Okay? Trying to drive home the point. Because I think he believes that in the Corinthian community there's a lots of this. There are lots of people in the Christian community who under who are so caught up in their newfound freedom in Christ and the fact that they can do all kinds of things, that they are leaving behind whom? They're leaving behind the people who are new to this. Those who still there in another letter, Paul says to them, you know, you're like little boats, little boats being blown here and there and here and there, like little, like little paper boats on a, on a lake, blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and so forth that comes your way. Because they're not, they're not grounded, as, right? They're not grounded. Don's right, they're not grounded. They're not, they, it's, and as hard as it might be for us, it would be harder for them to try to understand this life that they are being called to live. So, that's the end of chapter 8, which I thought was going to be a breeze. <laughs> so, do you have anything else, Patty? No, no oh. just don't forget to pray for Charlotte today. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, Charlotte Anderson, who normally sits back here, Princess Charlotte, she was, she flew to Amsterdam to get on a cruise and her knee replacement failed. So she had to come back and she's gonna have knee replacement repair basically a week from today. So please keep Charlotte in your prayers. Keep, there are a lot of folks who need our prayers all the time. One of the things that we, Paul assures us about is the fact that God's spirit lifts up to God the prayers that we hold um, in our hearts and even some we probably hardly even realize that, that are there. So shall I close in prayer, Patty? Okay, let's pray. Gracious Lord, wow. We come to these letters. I think we do get that the that they're ancient and Paul is specifically dealing with problems, at least directly, that don't afflict us like meat sacrifice to idols, but we pray that your spirit will guide us in hearing in Paul a word and some guidance for our own lives and um, so that 
we can we can hear in these pages Paul's teachings and advice to us about how to grow in Christ likeness ourselves and how to be people who help others to grow in Christ likeness and would never be a hindrance to anyone all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.